The Sermon on the Mount is more relevant for us today than the original hearers because Jesus' audience could never fulfill the higher standards of grace while under the law. So how do we as Christians share the Sermon on the Mount to our audience? In today's message, Pastor Bank continues to help us live, love, give, and serve more as the Holy Spirit helps us with being more. Oh yeah, can, he, can we give God a shout of praise in this house? Hallelujah! Glory be to God. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. I don't know if you can sense it. I don't know if you can feel it, but he's here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We welcome you this morning to this service coming to you from Lawrenceville World Outreach Church for All Nations. We thank God for you. And for those of you that is joining us online, we welcome you. We thank God for you. And at the same time, we say to you, we are safe. We are observing protocols for healthcare here, and you are invited to join us in person because we miss you. Glory to God. Bible enjoins and encourages us that we should not forsake the assemblies of ourselves together, and we just thank God for keeping us in and through everything that's happening around us. And it's just so good to see all of you that are in the house. Thank you so much. God bless you. And so we are going to dive straight into the message this morning. This is World Outreach Church for All Nations again, and here we are building strong families and serving the global communities. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Matthew chapter 4 in verse 17, and I'm speaking this morning on changing for more, changing for more, continuing the theme that was started here about three, four, five weeks ago, the theme of living more, loving more, giving more, and serving more. This is where it's at. We cannot remain where we were. The essence and the coming of the Holy Spirit is to transform you and I so that forever we are changing into the likeness of who Jesus is. The path of the just, the Bible says, is as a shining light, and it shines more and more onto the perfect day. The more revelation of God I get, the more revelation of the Holy Spirit I see, it should transfer into a change in my life. I should live more. I should love more. I should give more. I should serve more. And so that's, where, that's what we've been talking about for, for, for a few weeks here. And so changing for more is the instrument for this morning. You know, there's a saying that says, nothing changes unless something changes. Nothing. You and I can wish all we want to change. We can wish all kinds of things. I wish to make more money. I wish to serve more. I wish to love more. And wish and wish and wish and wish and wish and wish. But nothing will ever change unless something changes. And that's how Jesus began this message of the Sermon of the Mouth. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, here we, there we go. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Last week, I defined that word repent. Yes, it applies to repenting of my sin, but more broadly and more importantly, Jesus is speaking a lot more than that. 
When it says the word repent, that word in the Greek means metanoia, which simply means change. Change the way you are thinking. All the things you and I have grown up to embrace, the norms that we've accepted as being true, Jesus is saying, compared to heaven, to the kingdom that is bringing to us, the kingdom of heaven, you need to bring everything you know and set it beside what he's telling you and see that his way of living, of doing things, is more superior. Change your mind. Don't say, well, that's the way we used to do it in my village. That's the way my culture says we should do it. That's the way tradition says we should say it. That's the way my father has done it. That's the way my mother has done it. And as a result of that, we are stuck. We are trying to impress heaven using worldly means. It never happens. You can never make the kind of progress you want to make using earthly, worldly methods. And that's why Jesus began his message by saying, be open to change. Be open to think differently. Be open to the things that he was bringing to us. Now, not only did they say that at the beginning of the message, it is very interesting to me that at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 24 through 26, he also says something that, you, that we should all be mindful of. So at the beginning he says, prepare to change. But at the end, look at what he says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, what sayings? Everything he said in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Why? For it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Verse 27, and the rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So one thing about what Jesus is saying as a conclusion, rains will come, whether you are a believer or not, whether you are a solid Christian or not. No matter your lot, you just can expect it, there will be rain. Rain addresses our covering, the blood of Jesus. The winds will blow, no matter where you are, no matter what you do. It does not matter how many times a week you pray and fast and read the Bible, how many Bible studies, studies you attend. The winds will blow. Winds come to check the structure in your life. And then, of course, the floods will come. No, again, no matter your lot, the floods will come. Why? Because the floods are sent to test your foundation. What are you building on? Are you building on the natural, normal, customary norms of life? The things that was passed down to us from great-great-grandfathers and mothers and fathers, is that what you are building your life on? No, heaven is not built on that. Heaven is built on the Word of God that cannot fail. Now, amazing though, when you read the, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, the passage we just read, he said, if you do these things, now the point is you cannot do it. Let, let's settle that. Even though he said that, remember, he's speaking to those under the law. So what I'm saying to you is, number one, he says we should change. Number two, he's telling us that we should be wise 
But we cannot just choose to be wise without the help of the helper. And that leads me to my, to my number three point. The Holy Spirit, which he, Jesus, sent to us, he told us in John chapter 14, verse 16, that he will be a helper. He is the one that will help me and you to do the things that he's asking us to do. And that's why you and I must pay careful attention to the Holy Spirit. Let me go to Luke chapter 6, in verses 46 through 49, before I really, yeah, before I move on. In the message translation, I really like what Jesus is saying there. So number one, it tells us to prepare to change. Number two, it says that we should be wise and not foolish. But let's read it from the message. Look at what the message says. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. And that's right, sir. But never do a thing I tell you. You know, when I read that passage, I just laughed. I cracked up. My wife and I, we have a young man that drives us whenever we're in Nigeria. And usually when this guy is driving, like maybe we're traveling from Ibadan to Lagos or Lagos, Ibadan. I'm, I'm sure she will remember this. The guy will just put his feet on the accelerator, on the gas pedal. I mean, just, I mean, 120. I said, ah. I said, let me please slow down, slow down, slow down. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And crack his knuckles. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and soon as he's finished cracking his knuckles, there he goes again. Ooh! And I said, let me, let me slow down, please. You don't, I mean, why are you running so fast? Where are you going? What's the hurry? And he said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. When I read that passage, <laughs> he's saying yes, sir, to me, but he's paid no attention whatsoever to whatever I'm saying. And so, when we travel with this guy, we can sleep. At least I can't. I have to keep my eyes on the road, and I'm telling him, man, please slow down. Can you imagine those highways? 120 miles an hour? Crazy. And I'm saying to him, if you have a flat tire, we're all dead. I say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. As soon as I finish, he finished saying that, bang, there he goes again. Ah, so when I read this passage, I say, yeah, okay. I see this guy in the scripture. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. No, are you guys paying attention? Uh, you know, please, please yes, because it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. That's how some of us take scriptures: mere additions, mere additions to your life. Homeowner improvements. To your standard of living. Can you imagine that? That's, how, that's what we see. Ah, this is just an improvement. No. Jesus did not come to make an improvement. He came to destroy the old li lifestyle. Yes. Totally destroy it. And establish a new one. If any man be in Christ Jesus, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Not so all things are being patched. He did not say all things are being improved. No. All things are passed away. Behold. Everything has become new. So the things Jesus is saying to me and you, it's not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words. Words to build a life on. If you and I are going to live more and love more and give more and serve more, we have to discard the old ways of thinking. We have to change. And the change is not a one-time change, it's a changing lifestyle. That's why I titled this message, Changing for More. You just don't change once and think you've you got to know. For, we are forever changing every new day. As we receive new mercies, new revelation, new love of God, we are changing every day forevermore to be 
like him. Amen? So now, because we cannot do this on our own, it's God that's working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do all things in us. So Jesus sent me and you the Holy Spirit. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit as we yield, like we said last week, yield our will to him, surrender to him, receive his instruction, and let him guide us on a day-to-day basis. As we do that, then we can begin to see trans- transformation. We can begin to see our lives change. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in the Passion Translation, please. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? What mercies are we talking about? It's loving kindness. That love that sent his son to the cross. Think about that. Did he have to do that? No, he didn't have to do it. But he did so anyway. Why? Because he's love. Everything about God's essence is love. When you and I were undeserving, when we were God-haters, when we had no idea, no revelation of who he was, he chose to go to the cross for us anyway. This is a ter- That's what the psalmist said. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. He said, forget not what is benefits. And he began to list them. Number one, he says, he forgives our iniquities. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad this morning? Your iniquities are forgiven. Your sins, past, present, and future, all taken care of. He heals our diseases. He redeems our soul from destruction. He crowns our head with his tender loving kindness. He renews our youth as the eagles. And he satisfies our mouth with good things. Hallelujah. Glory to the Son of God. So Paul reminds us, don't forget those mercies. Because none of us qualify or can accomplish any of the things he's given us for free. We could never pay enough in works or effort to forgive our sins. But he did it anyway. So he says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be sacred, living sacrifices. And live in holiness. Experience all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Now, verse 2 is really what I want to camp on. Verse 2 says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Man! Is that powerful enough? If you live in the United States 25 years ago, and you went to Mars for the last 25 years, and just came back now. You will not recognize this country. Changing. Not for the good. Because we've seen the regular, consistent erosion of the things you and I hold value. Every day. The culture has redefined everything we know to be good now. Everything that was bad is now good. And what is good is now bad. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I keep on saying this. I'll say this again. I was in Turkey in August. And just to think that Turkey at one point was a Christian nation. Christian. The capital, Istanbul, capital of the Roman Empire. Can you imagine that? Capital. Do you know what? C-A-P-I-T-A-L. Capital. The capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. A church standing still to today that was there for 969 years. 
And while I was there a few months ago, Istanbul had 3,800 mosques compared to 157 churches. What happened? And then you go through the entire Turkey that Jesus wrote to in, this, in, in, in the book of Revelation, the seven, seven uh, churches of Asia Minor. They're all in Turkey. All of them. You cannot find one single one. You can't even find a, a semblance of a church. In any of those places, I stood. My wife and I, we stood right there at Ephesus. We stood right there where they cried, where, where they cried to the great God of Diana. At Ephesus, it's nothing but ruins and relics. I'm saying this, America, because if we don't repent, the same thing will happen. Yeah. Because what Paul said, stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. By the time we call good evil and evil good, it's just a matter of time. Unbelievable. Go and read it in the scriptures, Acts 19 verse 10. The Bible said in two years that Paul was at Ephesus, all of Asia received the gospel. All of Asia, including where? India. Today, how many gods are in India? In India? About 100 million gods. And none of them is Jehovah. And that was where Apostle Bartholomew, the apostle of Jesus Christ, that, that's where he was martyred, in India. He preached there. So did Thomas. So I'm saying to us, don't just sit here. Don't just hear me and just take this message for granted. Paul knows what he's talking about. If you don't change, you will not stay. If we do not change, we will not last. Just as I stood on the stones and the relics and the ruins of the church at Ephesus, and I said to my wife, I said, my goodness, I hope what happened here will not happen to us. That in years to come, people will not come back and dig the archaeological remains of how we used to worship. Why? Because the, the, the culture of the society in which we are living it totally overwhelmed and swallowed up the church. That's why the church must take its rightful place. We can be speaking lies from the pulpit. We must return to the foundation of the unadorable word of God that can never be broken or changed to the glory of God. Stop imitating. How am I going to stop imitating? I have to change. No matter what CNN is telling me, or Fox News, or NBC, or whoever else is out there, I have to say, what's God saying? Because all those men and those women on those news media, they have their own agenda. They're not trying to give you the news. They're trying to change your mind. And unfortunately, they've changed so many of our minds, we don't know right or wrong any longer. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed. Who does the transformation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit can only do it to the degree that I allow him to do so. He can scream all day long, and I know he's screaming to some of us, but we are hell-bent on going down our own way, calling good evil 
and calling evil good. Why? Because we have bought so much into the lies of the culture in which we're living in. Now, quickly now, let me just go to some examples of changed times or changed lives in the scripture. I will not read this, but I'll say this and then let me read Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. Matthew chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. Jesus is the first example I want to see. And as I'm reading this passage, let me recall to you that in Mark chapter 14, don't go there, don't go there, I'll say it. in Mark 14 and 36, Jesus in his humanity stood at that Gethsemane, he looked at the cross and the agony of what was about to happen to him, and he cried to his father, Father, is it possible for this cup to pass over me? His humanity was speaking. You and I will face different situations, circumstances, things that happen to us for which we have a set of belief system or we have an opinion or we have some feeling about the situation and at the same time we are hearing what God says and we're trying to decide what should we do. Father, is it possible for this cup to pass over me? Jesus said it. Why? Why did God allow that to be recorded in the scripture? God wanted me and you to know it was as human as we are. And he had moments in his own life that he had to make a choice. The same choice you, are, you and I are called to make every day. But soon as he said that, the Holy Ghost in him said, not my will, but that will be done. That was a change. He just lived more in that moment. He lived more. The moment he switched from his own personal belief or expectation or desire and embraced the desire of his father, in that moment, he just lived more. Now, what I want us to read in this passage, Matthew 20, is this. Can you give that to me the New King James, please? Thank you. There you go. But Jesus answered and said, the context here is the disciples were arguing among, among themselves, who will be, the, be the leader? Who will be the leader? Who's going to be the next governor, the next senator, the next congressman, the next CEO, and on and on and on. They began to argue among themselves. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. The mother of James is coming to uh, canvas for a position for, the, for, for, for her sons. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Mark those words. Next verse. And this is a critical verse we don't always reckon with. Verse 23, he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. Look at your neighbor right now. I mean it. Are you drink Ask them, are you drinking from the cup? <laughs> this is true. Jesus gives me and you an assurance. So that when the cup is presented, you don't start squirming and say, no, I don't want to drink. Ah, this is not uh, Coca-Cola. This is not Pepsi. This is not ginger ale. Ah, this looks like something else. This like, no, no, no. 
it's, it's first he asked them the question, are you able to drink of the cup I'm about to be uh, drinking? And they said, we're able. Oh, good. You, that, for the first time, you disciples, you got the right answer correctly. He said, indeed, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Let's just stop there. What is he referring to? Because when the cup was given to him, he asked for an exemption, but immediately pivoted to his father and said, not my will. What does the cup represent? The cup represents the things that are forced on us in life, aspects of life that makes it difficult to trust God. Do you, do, you, do you have any cup? Do you have a cup? Have we taken, partaken of any cup? Ah. Have you been hurt by a divorce you didn't want? That was a cup. Have you suffered any huge financial, financial loss? That was a cup. Are you unable to find a life partner and struggling with the prospect of a lifelong singleness? That is a cup. Have you experienced a death of a loved one? That is a cup. Have you experienced the death of a dream? That is a cup. Have you experienced the loss of a business? That is a cup. Have you experienced the loss, the loss of, some, of some physical capacity? That is a, that is a cup. In other words, the cup is anything that happens to us that life throws at us that we do not initiate. And sometimes, these cups are a stumbling block for most of us in being able to trust God to change, to live for more, to love for more, to give to more, for, and to serve more. Because you are stuck. You just wonder, why did this happen? Why did this man leave me? Why did this woman leave me? Why did this person die? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? You're asking question after question after question and after question, and you're stuck. And God is screaming, just trust me. Things may look doom, gloom for a moment, but if you just trust me in and through the situation, it will be fine. In Genesis chapter 44, in verse 2, we see a peculiar cup that helps to illustrate what I'm talking about. About our ability to surrender to the Holy Spirit to bring change. Even when we have a cup in our lives. And by the way, remember what Jesus said. All of us in this shall drink of the cup. If you have not drink from it already, it's coming. It's coming. Joseph, Prime Minister of Egypt. His brothers have come to Egypt to buy grain. He never revealed himself, his identity to them. He says to his servants, also, put my what? Ah, 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 cup, cup. That word again, cup. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to what just, the word Joseph has spoken. Now, did Benjamin, in whose bag they put this cup, did he, did he ask for the cup? Ah. Just as you and I never asked for the cup 
for the things life throw at us. But when life throws them at us, we are called to rise up, to live more, love more, give more, and serve more, regardless of the cup. Because if we learn to do that, we will see something at the other end that we could never, ever have imagined and that would never have happened otherwise. So, let's go to Genesis chapter 43. No, actually Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44 verse 10. Let me just, because of time. Genesis 44 verse 10. All right. So now, they put a cup in Benjamin's bag. They set it back up. They set back out to Canaan. And of course, Joseph sent his men to go after them. And they said to them, one of you guys have stolen the cup of my master. And now we're going to have a search. And whoever, in whoever's bag we find this cup, you're all in trouble. You know the story, Genesis 44, verse 10. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall, and you shall be blameless. Verse 11, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. Verse 12, so he searched, he began with the oldest, and left off with the youngest. And a cup was found in Benjamin's sack. What? Remember Benjamin? The father never wanted him to go. He never wanted. That was the only remaining surviving son of Rachel, his beloved. Verse 13. Then they tore their clothes. And each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. And he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a mind as I can certainly practice divination? <laughs> or should you say manipulations, Joseph? <laughs> then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. I don't know if you're getting this so far. Ah, but he said, be far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Now go to verses 33 and 34. Same chapter, verses 33 and 34. Thank you. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that will come upon my father. Do you understand what's just happened here? Years earlier, these brothers were only in it for themselves. They didn't like Joseph. They were jealous and envious. They sold him to slavery, and they, didn't, they couldn't care less for anybody else but themselves. Now, 
after years of God's dealing, they were placed in a situation, in a position to do what they did years ago. Judah was not at fault. Nobody else was found guilty except Benjamin. They could easily have thrown Benjamin under the bus. Here is your culprit. This is the man. This is the person that took your cup. Yes, 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 take him. We don't care. Forget about Jacob. We're not going to think about him. Forget about, no, just take him. In this story, those brothers chose to live more, love more, give more, serve more. They took full responsibility for what Jacob did. They said, we did it. It's us. Let us all suffer for it. Their thinking had changed. And this is going to be the key to their increase. Because if your thinking don't change, you cannot manage the increase God is trying to bring to your lives. So they said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Benjamin may have been guilty, but no, no, no. We're all going to jail. If you take him, you take us. No. Why? We have to be concerned about our father. We still love him. We are loving more now. When we told him a lie that Joseph was dead, we didn't love, we loved less. But now we are loving more. They said no. Together. Because the Bible says, when those people rejoice, we all rejoice. When one mourns, we all mourn. They are living the principles of Jesus here. Wow. Joseph heard that. Mind you, up to this moment, they did not know who Joseph was. He had not revealed himself. Ha, now you are there. What am I talking? When you choose to live more and love more and give more and serve more, you get another revelation of who God is. Your revelation of who is upgrades. Because when they did that, Joseph could not withhold himself any longer. I am Joseph. Your brother, whom you sold into slavery. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What's Joseph? Joseph himself has changed. Everything changes. Everything changes. In closing, I have some more stuff here, but I won't even go there. There's a story that broke, true life story that broke years ago. Five missionaries went to preach the gospel to the Aka Indians of Latin America. They surveyed the ground. They saw the place. They knew those guys were primitive. They knew it was extremely dangerous. These guys, had, up to that time, had never been exposed to anyone from outside. They were cannibals. They were murderers. I mean, these guys were tough. They surveyed the land from the air, and they, they, they made up their mind that they're going to go and reach them, five of them. They went. They took their little stuff, uh, some supplies, including arms. They took a gun. They landed on the beach, flying a small Cessna aircraft, and they began to engage the people. Long story short, missionary Nate, Nate Saint, that's the, name of one, the, the leader of the group, Nate Saint, N-A-T-E, Nate Saint, speared to death by the people he sought to reach for God. Do you know what it means to be speared to death? It was not shot. 
spared. Now, there were five of them. Now, if you were in that group and they spared the first one, what would you do? Olubade Ali, what would you do? The other four did not run. They laid their lives down. They were all spared to death. All five of them spared to death by the group they went to reach. Talk about living more, loving more, giving more, serving more. And I'm saying to you, when you are able to yield to the Holy Spirit, there's an increase there. there. Years later, the son of Nate Saint, who was a toddler when his father was spared to death, walked into the same tribe. And the man that speared his father to death was the one that baptized him. And as I speak, that entire area, glory to God, has now come to Christ. These men had guns. They could have shot their enemy, those guys. They should have killed them. But they realized one thing. If we kill them, they will be forever close to the kingdom. Did Jesus not say, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But when it dies, it brings forth more fruit. What would have happened to you and I if Jesus did not go to the cross? It was a grain of wheat. But by willing to live more and love more and give more and serve more and planted his life as a seed in the ground, you and I have the opportunity to live. What are you talking about? This is no joke. This is a serious business. And I close with this illustration from Luke chapter 5. In verses 1 through 6, Luke chapter 5. So you see, being a living sacrifice always brings increase. Always. Always. Being a living sacrifice always brings increase. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and 6, watch this. So it was. As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Why were they washing their nets? Why did they leave the boat? They were done for the day. Think about you. You walk, it's five o'clock, closing time. If a clock punching employee, you have your card, uh, employee, the, the card in your hand, you go punch, punch it, you're on your way out. You're on your way out. In those days when I worked at Eastern Airlines, hey, when it's time to go home, it's time to go home. We're all lining by the clock, watching that clock. Tick, 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 tick. Once it strikes the hour, bam, 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 bam. That's what they were doing. They were ready to go home. Then, change is about to take place. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little, a little from the line. What? Jesus, don't you understand? My shift is over. It's time to go home. I've punched the clock. No, I, are you kidding me? My kids have soccer game. I have tutorial to teach. I have to go to church. On and on and on and on are reasons. Good ones. Valid ones. But for some reason, it does not register in heaven. He just got in the boat and said, Simon, put it out in the water. What? Rabbi, don't you understand? What, what about closing time don't you, don't you get? 
and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. I can only just imagine, was it a short sermon? Was it an exhortation? Or was it like some of us, that's verbose. <laughs> we just speak, keep on speaking. And Peter would say, oh my God. Listen, my, look, my time is gone. Man, oh God, what are you doing? Let's, I need to go home. When he starts speaking, contrary to everything Peter was thinking up to that moment, he said to Simon, now because you've given me your life, you've lent me your boat, you have allowed me to infringe upon your time, I am a good rewarder of them who diligently seek me. Launch out into the boat, into the deep. Now, notice, Peter didn't ask him. Peter was not demanding, please, please, oh God, oh, master, pay me back. Peter didn't do any of that. Launch out into the deep and let down your nest for a catch. Verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Ah, master, have you not read the latest Google fishing manual? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, you may have gone to night school like Banka Kimola, but, but, but don't you understand that we have told all night and got nothing? Old paradigm. Old paradigm. We've told all night and got nothing. Old way of thinking. Old way, uh, uh, old customs. Nevertheless, that's the key. That's the hinge upon which our change takes place. That's the hinge upon which increase comes. At the point of where you can say, nevertheless, Father, she has hurt me. I can't stand her. She irritates me day and night. I've lost money. I've lost my job. I've lost it. Nevertheless, I'm going to allow you, God, to have the last word. Nevertheless, not how I'm thinking, not what I see, not what I know. Nevertheless, why? Because I'm dealing with a God that is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the ending. Hallelujah. The first and the last and everything in between. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the night. And verse 6 says, and when they had done this, you see, because the word of God empowers them. When Jesus spoke that word, the ability to do was in the word that was spoken. And when they had done this, they caught a greater number of fish and their net was breaking in the name of Jesus. I pray for every one of you that's listening to under the sound of my voice that your net of goodness will start to break according to the power of God over your life in the name of Jesus. I'm commanding a net breaking anointing over everyone, every man, every woman, even those who are listening by online right now in the name of Jesus. You will no longer toil for not. You will trust God and the God you trust will deliver into you in the name of Jesus. Receive right now in the name of Jesus. Receive. Change your mind. Begin to trust God. God is for your good. He says he has, he knows the plans he has for you. Plans of peace and not of evil. To bring you to an expected end. I command your end to be good. I command your beginning to be good. I command your middle to be good. I command everything that concerns you to be good. According to the word of God. In the name name of Jesus. Just trust him. Trust him. Trust him to change and to turn 
your destinies around in the name of Jesus. And with that, I bring this to us to an end. And if there's anyone here right now that says, Father, I want to trust you. I can't get off of this. I want to just press in to trust you in another realm. I want to believe you at your word. Help me, God, to trust you. If that is you, whether you are watching by TV or your mobile device, or if you're here in the presence, if you just want to trust God, why don't you just lift up your hands right there where you are? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. When 